Yes. I believe. Nice. I'm going to put my phone on airplane mode. Actually, yeah, I thought we actually, actually my, my phone's got this weird do not disturb thing so I can just do not disturb yeah so I can just like put it like that and it just won't notify me anything it's great <laughs> it's great until you put it like that by accident yeah. <laughs> like, I haven't got any phone calls I, today I've missed everything important I hope it works actually I've never actually properly tried it but yeah. well, we'll find out Welcome to the Elliot Concrete Podcast, Zach, in your own house. Hey! With your own microphone. <laughs> I feel so comfortable. <laughs> this is like adhering to the guest in the most, like, uh, the biggest manner possible. Yeah, to be fair, like, travelling podcasts, that could be a, that's yeah. quite a good idea. I think I'm doing another one in Northampton in, like, a couple of weeks. There you go. I'm just yeah. take, taking the camera. Taking, taking it on the road. Yeah. I did one in a hotel recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One yeah. in London. Went down to London. It was like... We should record a podcast one day. I think you should take like one of the little uh, sacks, you know, like the knapsack things, where you tie it up around a oh, like pole. a bundle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, like, just wrap all your recording equipment in there, carry it along, trek from town to town, <laughs> recording podcasts with the various people. It's got a nice vibe to it. It does. It's a bit. It's a bit cliche, Kerouac. <laughs> <laughs> like if Kerouac was nowadays, would he would he just be recording podcasts from place to place? Probably. It's the new like hit thing. thing. I think. Yeah. I don't know that. Though. Don't know if it's a hit thing. Well, no, like, I feel like the last two years it's been like a boom of it. Mm. And now, like, everyone's doing podcasts. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like, I never feel like it hit the peak. Yeah, I get what you mean. Like, there's still, there's still mileage in it. Yeah. Like, I still don't see it as, like, a a profitable business. Yeah, I, I, like, because like, there the are adverts ones. and stuff, yeah. yeah. But. Like, even, like, big podcasts. I'm like, you can't be that profitable. Yeah, normally they'd have to do something alongside it as well. Yeah. Like, I watched Last Podcast on the Left, which is it's basically like a true crime podcast. Mm. And they go through, like, serial killers and all that kind of shit. Um, and they do live shows as well. Okay, yeah. So they, like, go to live shows and do panels and, and basically go through what they usually go through on a podcast, but live. And, like, that works. Okay, yeah. Because it's kind of like an evening with... Yeah. And then you, you get yeah. a bit of history and all that kind of stuff. I just, I don't know. Well, it's kind of like... I guess that's like how the music industry works and the fact that it's like um, records and stuff like that they don't make the money what makes the money is actually going and doing the live shows yeah the gigs make the money yeah. the merchandise yeah and the merchandise the merchandise yeah. just get some uh, get some yelling upon concrete on t-shirts <laughs> hey I can't get a t-shirt of a bee to sell I'm not going to be able to sell <laughs> yelling at concrete <laughs> I really, I really, I love the, I love the puns like that's what I was about like the yeah. be nice I was like get get me on that I don't know why but like whenever I do a t-shirt it usually ends up with some sort of pun or slogan it it should do I'm pretty sure I remember talking to somebody who did like illustrationy type stuff and I because I'm me I think of a lot of puns yeah and I just I got so excited about trying to sell her the idea of my puns that she could draw. And then, and then we. Could, well, I was like, we could make millions. Like one of them, I was so proud of. It was uh, a bunch of uh, old, like Russian royalty, getting yeah. kicked into the Grand Canyon. Okay. And then, as he's like falling, he's like, "Oh yeah, real mature." And then underneath it says sarcasm, like T S A R, and then chasm. I was like, "That's that's it. I've I've made it." 
That's awful. Or there, there was also a, there was also a, a like a whole like obviously a very heavy band. Yeah. And uh, playing some music, and then they're just getting like a load of this like liquid thrown on them, and they're like running away like ah, and it says detergent. You should work for catchphrase. Yeah. See, I'm I'm made for it. <laughs> you, should, you should definitely work for catchphrase. Oh, dear. Uh, so we were discussing earlier. Uh, so it's been like a year or two mm. since you've last on the podcast. Yeah. Long Which time. I got watching again the other day oh, to yeah. refresh my memory of what we talked about. I kind of did the same thing, yeah. Which I found kind of ironic mm. because the reason we're in your house today is because we recorded you doing your project, which we talked about in that podcast. Hey, so it all comes We've full circle. It's taken us a year, yeah. but you've managed to make a project. So let's talk now then about how... We're going to make like loads of money and we're going to be like, we're, every, all of our dreams are going to come true and then in a year. In a year, we can depress ourselves. It, yeah, just, in a year, it won't happen. We'll be like, damn it, it was a one-time thing, we wasted it. No, I kind of like, I feel like, because in the last one we were talking about how you kind of like, you would, you would throw in a few bits in like folders and stuff like that mm. and, and, and like you weren't sure whether you were going to do a thing and since then you've done essentially an album. Yeah. Which you released. Yeah, and I'm still... Like that, that one album was kind of made up of so many old things. Like essentially, it went back to I think the first, the oldest of those songs was like I wrote in my first year of uni, yeah, and then I released it about five years later. So it was a collection of like five years worth of various different. Like it was quite a changing period. That period of uh, uni, like I came into uni at the end of like a really long relationship, and then. Yeah. I was essentially, then I was kind of, I was free for the other two years of uni. So that was all about really essentially me learning to be myself, yeah. which is what most people do a bit earlier, I think. I don't know. Like, I, I kind of, so I, I have that thought the other day, because it's been about two and a half years now mm. since my previous relationship ended. And I went through the whole process of learning to date. Yeah. Because I've been in such a long relationship and that relationship had kind of existed during uni. Yeah. So I hadn't dated since college. Oh, like yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah. Like it just hadn't been a thing. Yeah. Um, so I kind of came out. So the last two years, I've basically just like figured out how to to be me. But then at the same time, I don't feel like I've changed that much. That, that's important. It, oh. Um, it's, yeah, it's more about learning how to kind of cope with yourself, maybe. I don't know. I can't pretty well with myself. That's good. <laughs> uh, also, I totally realise I might need to go and actually get that door. Go for it. So I'm going to go do that. You can just keep the folks at home busy. I'll chat the usual shit. Yeah. Which I chat. But no one else is in. <laughs> so Zach has gone to answer the door. So I'm just here. Doing nothing. Uh, well, yeah, so I really realised I needed to go and get that because I uh, bought a new laptop. Oh, shit. So I was like, oh, if, if I miss that, that's probably bad. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. What prompted the new laptop? Uh, well, the one that I'm currently using is like five, six years old, so it's, mm. it's on its last legs. And I just decided, you know what, I need to, I'm really bad at spending money. Okay. 
Like I see something and I'm like, oh, but do I do I need it? Uh, pr- probably not. And then I won't. I won't. I'm just bad at buying things, which most people say is a good thing. But I'm almost exactly the same. I hate spending money. Yeah. I like every time I've made a big purchase, I feel sick afterwards. Oh. Like even if I know I need it, like it's an important thing. It's like you know I'm going to spend you know thousand yeah. pounds. Afterwards, I just get it. I get genuine anxiety of just like oh shit. Oh, I've done it. I spent oh. so much money, and I, what could I have done with that money? And that's where my brain always goes. I'm like, oh, do I need do I need that coat, which is like seventy quid? I'm like, yeah, but what could I do with seventy quid? That that's it. I do all of that beforehand. Yeah. And then, but then once I've done it, yeah, I'm like, well, I've spent the money now. Can't do anything about it. Yeah, it's done. And so that's why I kind of just have almost fugue states where I just disassociate. I disassociate from my my own body, and I just like a part of me will just buy it and then it will come back and I'll be like oh well I do so much research yeah into everything it's like right now so I need a new phone because this is dying Mm. it's it's terrible Um, and I'm looking at phones and I haven't bought a phone in like a decade maybe I don't know like (laughs) something stupid like that (laughs) but it's just been like yeah cool so all phones are basically the same now yeah but they all cost different prices and they're all slightly different there is yeah there's that little and then there's no excuse for one phone being a grand and another phone being 300 quid and you're like well we'd, surely one's better right yeah like, it, it all depends I think on yeah purely what you need it for yeah like, so like I ended up getting I got a new phone recently and I got a, a Google Pixel that's, and, what, that's what I'm aiming for yeah. like that's what I'm thinking and my main thought was I was like well Google make Android so therefore there must be some kind of synergy there that makes sense and plus like the camera's good which is one of the main things I use my phone for my whole thought on Pixel was like so I use Google Mail I use Google Maps yeah I use Google to pay for things I use Google for like searching things why not just have that device which is made for all those programs exactly and I was like any software update (laughs) is just going to make those programs better rather than breaking them exactly and that's my theory yeah, That's how Google owns everything. Exactly. <laughs> you just wait until, yeah, one day we'll praise our Google overlords. Thank you. That's my problem. I worry now because after buying that... Google will just go down to I've, I've, well, <laughs> After that, I've started to really buy into their entire ecosystem a bit too much. Like. This is, I, I watched a video recently, which is why people like Apple products. Okay. And it was like a big list of 10 things. It didn't actually solve anything. It was just like, oh, because it's like ergonomically designed and all this. And like, but then also here's mm. 10 other ones which take ergonomically mm. And it was like, it was kind of tongue-in-cheek of the reasons people like it. It's just because that's why they like it. Yeah. Um, but one of the things which got mentioned was the Apple ecosystem. And that people kind of end up like trapping themselves into it sort of thing. 100%. So it's like you get the iPhone. It's like, cool, this works with iPhone products. Mm-hmm. So you get all your music on iTunes, you get your Apple Mail, and you do all the, you just keep stacking it until suddenly you're like, well, if I leave it now, it's going to be way more hassle. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep buying new iPhones. I I had an iPhone prior to this, yeah. and fortunately I didn't have like a Mac uh, or a ba- basically I didn't have anything else Apple. So my life was pain from a technological standpoint because yeah. instead of everything being really synergized and like slick and easy yeah. it was like oh I've got to use iTunes on my non-Apple computer yeah. which is a pain and it just doesn't work 100% yeah. and then I was genuinely because I knew I needed a new laptop so I was thinking oh maybe I should get a maybe I should get a Mac 
because I've got an iPhone. And then when I got a non-iPhone for, for my new phone, I thought, well, I, I can't, I, there's no point getting a Mac now. Yeah. That would have been like, the most hilarious turn, like, get um, a Mac computer. One Apple product. That's my iPad. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing I own. And I have iCloud, but I don't have iTunes because I never had a MP3 mm. I, iPlayer or whatever it's called. Uh, iPod. iPod. Yeah. Wow. How did I not know iPod? <laughs> I'm tired. I'm just. <laughs> what? Um. Well, it was the whole thing with like like with Apple Pay. The fact that they called it Apple Pay and not iPay really confused me. I was like, yeah. you've called Apple everything Pay. else that, but I guess well, this it, one's Apple Pay. Yeah. I'm guessing that there's something out there called Apple iPay. Yeah, already and it exists, and they just wanted to absolutely pound it into the ground. Probably, yeah, which is how Apple works now. It makes sense, yeah. Massive corporations and all that kind of shit. Yeah, well, there was that place that um, got the rights to use Big Mac from okay. McDonald's. Yeah, I think it was like a Scottish place or something. It's been around for longer than yeah, it McDonald's. was It was McDonald's had filed a suit against them. Yeah, for using Big Mac. And they won. <laughs> so then McDonald's so, lost the rights yeah, to it. Yeah, they lost the rights to it. And now you can go to Burger King and buy the Big Mac. Yeah. Or a Big Mac. Or it's not a Big Mac. Yeah. Or whatever the fuck. I think it's like <laughs> specifically in the UK, I think. So yeah. like in America, it's probably yeah, like all the fine. exact same. But everywhere in Europe, it's yeah. like... <laughs> no, nah, everyone sells a Big Mac now. But it meant that that, that small... Like, I think it was maybe just like a one-place business. Yeah. It then meant they could spread across like yeah. all of the UK because... And then they have the rights to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Take that, corporations. <laughs> I'll make my own corporation. Yeah. And then give it ten years, and then that small Scottish burger <laughs> thing will be like a massive corporation, like five guys. <laughs> oh. What a what a great world we live in. <laughs> it's the thing where you, like, people are on getting on about like Walmart and stuff like that. Mm. It's like, yeah, but everything starts as small. Like, you think Woolworths. Yeah. Woolworths was huge, but it was just like some random guy. Yeah. who had like a store in the Victorian era and then got a massive superstar. Yeah. It's like every single business has started small. No one's gone, this is going to be big from the get-go. Apart from me, I don't know, like even Amazon. Oh, no, yeah. Like, Amazon was little. There's the whole thing being like, oh, they started in a garage. Although apparently that's kind of like... That's dubious. Yeah, it's like it's it's kind of like been mister, over-mystified. Like really it was... They were doing it in a garage because it was cheaper yeah. and... They actually had like a grant of a stupid amount of money to yeah. start it and stuff. So. There's a great, there's a video um, of some guy interviewing Jeff Bezos mm. when he's like starting. Back when Amazon was like a bookseller, mm. and this is basically like a news interview or something because the guy's going in and he's like, he's kind of being investigatory, but at the same time he's he's kind of poking the bear a little bit about Amazon and okay. like what it what it did at the time because what it did at the time was obviously revolutionary but obviously made a lot of people uncomfortable as well because it was yeah. that whole thing of like you go buy a book and it recommends five books and they were like yeah. how how do you know that how are you tracking that data and it was just kind of glossed over because you're like it's just recommendations yeah, it's just and then, data and whereas now Amazon know everything about yeah. it and it's really interesting because Jeff Bezos is just like, he's just this weird little geeky guy he's like shy he drives like a random like low cost car because he's, he's just happy to mm. he's got no money and they're just making Amazon and you're like and then you look at him now and he's like some freaking tank yeah like you seen Jeff Bezos? I, I've seen, seen him a, picture a little of him? bit but I've, I haven't seen how I, I've never looked at him and thought that guy's a 
he's henchman. He's a henchman. Oh, I've seen pictures of him, and he's like he's in some like like athletic top or some shit. <laughs> and you just look at him, and you're like, he would pound me into the ground. <laughs> that, I, maybe that's just what happens. You get so rich, there's nothing else to do but just work out. I mean, there is that. Like I really liked how I don't know if you watched the latest season of Black Mirror. I haven't. There, there's one bit in that where there's the CEO for this uh, big like social media and um, and his like whole thing is he's like he says he's just a figurehead like he doesn't really do much yeah. with the company anymore um, and he's just like on a retreat somewhere and he's just there like topless like good physique and stuff and I'm like that's probably quite accurate like CEO's just oh I've got nothing to do I guess I might as well yeah I've got people who because like Todd Howard says that about Bethesda for example I think okay. he, he was saying that his producers do so much of the kind of the admin-y, yeah. boring stuff that that's why he has such a creative hand in the games is because he just has other people to kind of take the weight of the other so stuff. Pulling ideas at the wall. And, and yeah, hopefully sticks. I've got this, oh, this, yeah. this, this is an idea. Yeah, yeah, Skyrim again. Yeah, I'll do Skyrim yeah. again. That's, <laughs> that's interesting. Like, I mean, so you watched Always Sunny mm. and the fact that they get Fat, Ma- Fat Mac. Yeah. And the reason they did Fat Mac was because Ron McKenney was like I hate when you watch a sitcom and everyone gets pretty yeah because obviously they get makeup artists and the production value goes and he's like no I'm just going to get real fat for like a whole season and we're just going to throw everybody off and I was like that's apparently I heard as well that he actually tried to suggest that everybody get real fat right and they were like oh, okay yeah yeah we, like, so we all wear fat suits and then Rob was like no no, no we no, actually get fat <laughs> and I just but I love the fact as well that then for this later season when he's absolutely ripped as hell I was like the whole season you're just kind of like where did that come from and then the, because of the last episode that's why he got so ripped because he was just practicing and rehearsing this dance routine so much Ron McKay is scary ripped like yeah scary like his face has changed ripped like yeah like even when he was weird. like hench in the early seasons mm-hmm. you were like yeah this is you know it looks normal and then now like, you look at him you're like I don't get how you've lost so much fat in your face like what was there to lose <laughs> I think yeah just like it's invisible fat that you just yeah. don't really think just, about and then and now he's just yeah I kind of want Fat Mac back I, I think he might bring he's it my favourite iteration of Mac <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he will get less ripped if nothing else because like you were saying this whole idea of yeah. you know he, he doesn't like the idea of people getting prettier yeah. which I, I like I mean I, I like as a show it kind of takes the tropes and just throws them out the window yeah or, or keeps them in the window but then just like beats them to a pulp just grasps all of them like you can't do anything with this yeah. we're just gonna keep doing this that's why I really like the whole female reboot episode because I was just like they were just they were going ham on the yeah. making a whole thing of the fact that female reboots shouldn't like they shouldn't be done just for the sake of making a female reboot no I mean that's that's a conversation I've had before on the podcast mm. like because I think it was around the time of when the Ghostbusters reboot came out yeah and that's like I've not I've not seen the Ghostbusters reboot I've no idea if it's good or bad mm. I've mainly not seen it just because the amount of hype surrounding it and I'm one of those people who avoids things whilst they're getting hyped Makes so sense. I'll watch it for free when it's on Netflix one time that's what I'll do which I'm, I'm sure will probably happen um, but it's like that kind of thing of like, yeah you don't you don't need to reboot things you should do your own thing and, and see how it goes but then that's like I don't feel like that's necessarily restricted to female reboots oh no not I mean like look at like Black Panther and like yeah. the Jordan Peele's films and stuff they're a great example of what you should really do yeah 
because yeah, like you said, just make something new instead of trying to. But get even getting like a a studio to attempt something new mm. is next to impossible. That's why they keep rebooting like Friday the Thirteenth and everything yeah. like that. It's like they Easy have money. these IPs. They know people are going to watch them, like Avengers. Mm. You know, they just re-released Avengers with extra footage. Yeah, somebody like, brought that up yesterday. I was like, "Just give us more of your money. Yeah, Why not? Just give us all." It's like, but it's like that kind of thing would have been like a DVD, mm. you know. But now it's like, no, Disney are going to go. No, we're just going to do another theater release. Yeah. And you're like, how's any other film meant to get a theater release if you just keep re-releasing the Avengers? Well, that's the whole thing <laughs> with Disney, though. I think is it in the film industry they. I think they own about like a third of it or something. They own something crazy. I was talking to my brother about this because when they bought, I think, yeah, it was back when they bought Marvel or mm. Sony or some shit. Um, I was chatting to him and was like, this is crazy. Like, it's crazy that they can do this mm. because to me, it's a monopoly. Yeah. Now. It's just an absolute monopoly. And he said, it's the visual of it is actually kind of skewed. They own all of these IPs. And they own all these companies, so it makes it seem like they've dominated the market. Mm. But then when you actually look at the film industry, you've got like Miramax and Universal and all these other big studios mm. which own everything else. And then when you like narrow it down, it's only Western cinema. It's like they don't own any Japanese IPs, yeah. Korean films, any of that. And Bollywood as a, as a genre is massive yeah. it's like, and they don't have any of that but in terms of like our market yeah, yeah they've got a heavy hand but in terms of what's actually out there it's really minute yeah they're just absolutely cash cow in it because of America yeah <laughs> of course I mean I think that's like, I keep hearing a lot of people say that like Korean cinema is Korean incredible I haven't really got into it but apparently it's very very art house even it is like, but at the same time I've, I've watched a few Korean comedies and they're hilarious mm. because they don't take anything seriously. <laughs> okay. So like so like a UK comedy, you're going to end up in like one of three categories. I've said three. I'm just going to try and fill those three. I thought of two and I'm like, <laughs> I would want to box myself in with two. So I'm going to say three. So you're going to get a romantic comedy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be something lighthearted, coming of age. One character or another is going to fall in love and then learn something about themselves. Mm. And that's going to be the entire gist of it. And then you're going to get gross out. So it's going to be like hangover jackass bridesmaids mm. anything which is just going to be like oh well most of this is just going to be fluids yeah like that's going to be the entirety of thing and then you're going to get something else which like maybe like a cartoon yeah like a cartoon. I, was gonna, I was going to say maybe even like intelligent comedy is what I will call it although it, it's kind of like I feel like that's a terrible term but like there's a that, uh, I think it's called Yesterday that's coming out which is kind of yeah. like a Beatles thing yeah and that looks that's a great idea yeah and it's a great concept and I think it's interesting that you don't really see innovative comedies that often. Like the Connecticut trilogy was yeah. a great example of like. And then a lot of people don't class them as comedies. We, yeah, it's like weird. they look at it and they go, "Shaun of a Dead, Dead." Yeah, that's a comedy. Mm. But they'll look at Hot Fuzz and World's End and go, "No, they're, no, they're comedies. They're like action films with comedy aspects." Yeah. I'm like, no, they're, they're written as comedies. Yeah. They're written by comedians, essentially. Yeah, by comedians in sitcom esque. Situation: How are you not classing those as comedies? Mm. But then they're a rarity. Yeah. Like, I, and that's the thing. Like, whereas, like, like I'm saying, like Korean cinema. I watched uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Weird. Okay. Which was a ripoff of Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, mm. but it was done in such a way that it was displaced from it, and most of it was just slapstick. 
Yeah. Like pure slapstick. And the characters they made to put into it were so intense that you couldn't like look away from it. And I think that's like the problem with the UK comedy is all your characters are a typecast. Mm. And they're the same people, whereas there's no depth to them. Mm. So would you say it's kind of like uh, you're saying Blazing Saddles? Yeah. Yeah, like that kind of thing when you say like yeah, kind of slapstick and like they're all the characters are just so Yeah, everything's there. a bit too much. Yeah. I, I recently rewatched Blazing Saddles. It's not as good as I remember it. Oh no. Oh, don't say that. I haven't seen it in ages and now I'm really scared. But, like people really love it and I was like, I sat watching it and I was like, this isn't as funny as I think it should be. And that's made me sad. Oh. It made me sad. It's no Uncle Buck. Which is, like, uh, which is miles for me anyway. if, if you want something that's funny just purely because of you're watching it and you think I can't believe this was made okay and you're like the hundredth person I've talked to about this because I've recently discovered not a lot of people have either heard of it or seen it okay Grease 2 I know Grease 2 exists you know it exists I've you've seen it you've seen it yeah oh my god you're one of the few people that's actually seen like <laughs> Because when I, it's I, terrible. I, I, I explain to people like you should you should watch this and I'm like they're like well, I, I don't want to watch it I've seen Grease one I'm like no no but Michelle Pfeiffer's in this and they're like yeah. what and I'm like oh and I just describe the whole concept of the story of she she can't date this nerdy guy who's a clearly very attractive man yeah. because he doesn't ride a motorcycle doesn't and <laughs> what a concept don't date people who don't ride motorbikes no. that's the lesson from today's yeah like Grease two's weird <laughs> Grease one's weird though. It's real weird, but that's like weird to the point of it being a classic. But like, I I feel like Grease One is weirder when you watch it now. Oh, 100%. like the like, intro card sequence. But it's like everything, like the whole like the you know, there's like a dream sequence in it. Yeah. There's a bunch of musical numbers which have no context. <laughs> like, there's no reason for them to sing about Grease Lightning when they're fixing up that car. Not at all. If that was a modern film, it'd be a montage. You wouldn't have like a track, people dancing, and it's like and it's, they just don't make films like that. Anymore. Well, that's the thing. Like, it's just it's of its time, isn't it? It's like mm. it's a complete musical film. Mm. But it it the only film which I can think to actually mirror it against is Big Lebowski. Yeah, because okay. you just have no context scenes thrown into what is actual a narrative. Like if you yeah. just have the narrative of that film, it still holds up. It's still a narrative. Yeah. It makes sense, but it's done in such a heavy handed way it's almost like they wrote the songs and was like we need to put stuff in around it <laughs> we but need that, to think of a story <laughs> but that was like, that, that was acceptable at the time mm. whereas now if people did that they'd be like what is this <laughs> like, it could be a good stage show but what is this well I was going to say that's, <laughs> that is what Greece is yeah because I think back to when I was in primary school and we had a whole thing every year where we'd do like a production and one of those years it was Greece too you did Greece not, Gre- not Greece 2 sorry it was Greece <laughs> 2 T-double-O it was yeah we did, so we did Greece for that and like it was great as like a primary school stage show like we had I think it's strange putting kids in Greece that's weird it is it is a bit weird but that's, I mean we also did like Robin Hood we did some strange things I got thinking the other day of um, of Romeo and Juliet okay and the things you learn at school the stories you studies at school and how essentially how inappropriate they are yeah, like you know, Romeo and Juliet's about like essentially. I, think, I can't remember how old Romeo's meant to be, but she's meant to be like thirteen. Yeah, and the entire film is that he's depressed that he can't sleep with this thirteen-year-old. <laughs> like that's the play. Yeah, and you get to the end of it, and you're like, 
I see yeah, it's really romantic and people really romanticize it and then your English teacher goes yeah but it's, it's basically just about pedophilia <laughs> you're like yeah and we keep teaching this to people and like Greece like Greece is heavily sexually oh but yeah charged. that's all it is essentially and then yeah. you throw to primary school <laughs> and go yeah this is cute right it's, it's like probably fine is it <laughs> you're gonna learn someday so learn with Greece I, I don't know and that's that's the problem. That's that's maybe why you don't see that kind of thing as much these days. Is because I think like the musical aspect of it kind of discharges all of the potential controversy to it. Do you think if you make something a musical, people are more accepting of it? I think because so. like it, like you were saying about it, it breaks it up. Like people yeah. don't think about like oh, this is a bit weird that he's like talking about what he's going to do to her later or like yeah. I mean there's a song in Greece too that's literally just singing about reproduction yeah like, Greece all, too is even more heavy handed well, yeah you know, my favourite personal of all of those is Let's Do It For Our Country is yeah. the title of the track yeah so yeah they're, they're so heavy handed but you kind of just like you, you're along for the ride at that point you're thinking you know what I'm with, this, I'm with the music I don't care about <laughs> anything else there's a good track to it you know yeah does that break the boundary that's I mean, it's kind of like cartoons with that, though. Yeah, I feel like I feel like recently there's been a shift where so before you could get cartoons and Disney's the worst for this, where they throw an innuendo. Oh yeah, they'll throw an innuendo, throw in something. It's like the whole scene in Lion King where they yeah. blatantly have sex. You know, the lions go at it, <laughs> and you don't notice it. As yeah, a kid. like but as an adult, you're like, "Where's that warthog and that meerkat watching these people?" What? <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah like that happens all the time whereas like now I feel like there's a lot less of that in Disney films yeah they've kind of got they've real really, pulled it back yeah but I think that's because of films like Sausage Pie they just go so far in the extreme yeah. where and like and, uh, Big Mouth on Netflix yes, yeah. like they've gone to such an adult extreme mm. that Disney is so careful about putting something adult mm. into their children's content yeah. So they're not compared with it. Yeah, I guess that's it. Because yeah, there are little, like South Park and things like that, which are so inherently mm. all about the adult side of it and getting the adults to watch it. There and there's so many yeah. cartoons now which are made for adults, mm. which I think yeah, they're, they're just they're scared of treading that line now. Maybe, I guess maybe that's to do because it's the whole idea of why loads of films nowadays are going with the real '80s aesthetic is because filmmakers who grew up in that time yeah. are now making making films and maybe it's a similar thing with cartoons because really probably like the 90s maybe were like prime cartoon era 80s yeah, they were 90s. the golden age yeah. and uh, and so then it's the same kind of thing where people who grew up during that and with those are now making them and they've kind of like you were saying like they're making them specifically for adults because they know yeah. there are people like them who grew up with them and will still watch them well this, this was something I was I can't remember who I was speaking to but <clears throat> it was like because I was thinking about my work mm. and for the longest time I couldn't figure out why I draw like I do okay I couldn't figure out where I picked it up from or anything like that because I was like looking at the things which I was shown as a kid and I'm like you know Who Framed Roger Rabbit yeah I was like the cartoons were all very clean everything was kind of nice there was only like a few glimpses because my dad was into motorbikes where mm. you'd see like you know dragons and stuff like that and I'm mm. like my interest as a kid was like D&D and it wasn't like surreal in any way mm. yet the stuff I draw 
is heavily distorted. Yeah. Heavily pushed from one extreme to another, and I used a lot of like abstract characters and all this kind of stuff. And then I, it was like two years ago or so, I discovered there was a term called lowbrow. Okay. And lowbrow is the term for a lot of the art which was made in the 90s for grunge bands. Yeah. And like, you know, like tools videos. Yeah, yeah. Like everything's fucked up and everything's kind of twisted mm. and everything like that. And it's called lowbrow art. Yeah. And I'm like, hang on a minute. That's me. That, yeah. And it was, it was this moment where I'm like, that's what I've been doing forever. And I've just never had a term for it. <laughs> And it's like this whole movement of it. And it's like, it's seen as like this really niche version of art mm. because it was so heavily popularized through music and all of mm. it. So it doesn't get any kind of respect in the, the grander scheme. And I was like, that's weird. And then you watch stuff like um, Adventure Time. Yeah. And Regular Show. And you're like, why are these so fucked up? Yeah. Why are these so twisted? And you're like, that's because everyone who is our age, mm. who is making these shows grew up on all that as well yeah you know they grew up on Beavis and Butterhead and Ren and Stimpy and went yeah that's really cool I wish I could make something like that and then given that opportunity like yeah we should do I'm on it we should push like this but it's weird that that doesn't happen with music or does it happen with music I don't I mean like music definitely evolves yeah I don't feel like music comes around as often as every other medium yeah like it does kind of feel like it it just changes permanently and that, that I think that's why I almost find it kind of worrying and why there's kind of like you need to preserve things a bit. Okay. Um, I think you maybe see it with with culture in general. Mm. So like, we kind of got to a point where jazz, you know, jazz was a thing for like 70s kind of era, or yeah. you know, maybe even earlier than that. But then there are some uh, like filmmakers, so there was a, like, not Dave Chappelle, what's his name? Um, the guy who did La La Land. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't know his name, but yeah. Cause, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like also he did Whiplash. Yeah. And both of those are very heavy into the jazz yeah. side of it. Yeah. And it's because he, I think he was a student at like a jazz school and stuff. So it's interesting that they kind of pull their ideas from it. But yeah, as music actually as a medium, it just more feels like rather than being cyclical, it yeah. it's like evolutionary. So, like, it just changes over time to use the old things. That's weird. Yeah. So, like, I mean, like, I was listening to um, Chet Baker the other day, who's, like, jazz, blues kind of okay. um, musician. And I was just like, I was just listening to him. I was like, this is incredible. I, I, I've not really listened to much of his stuff before. Yeah. I was like, this is great. And then I was just kind of, like, trying to, like, write something that was like that. But I think maybe, especially with musicians, there's a big focus on keeping your own style to it so I yeah. was listening to this and I was like oh, I could maybe try and write something that's like this but not like that yeah I think a lot of music and maybe that's the point like I find musicians I mean maybe it's because I don't know enough about music mm. but I find they don't do referential yeah in the same way so like you get a visual artist will go here's my painting of a horse and everyone looks at it and goes, that's a painting of a horse. And then people who have had art education will look at it and go, that's a painting of a horse. But the way he's done the hair references this. Yeah. Whereas with music, if people do that, they're like, no, they've ripped it off. Yeah. And so they, everyone's like, oh, well, I want to reference it, but I can't. So I've got to do it in my own way and push. Like, it's a lot more, I don't know what the word is, not vindictive. 
It looked cut- cutthroat. Yeah it, yeah, it feels a lot more like you're stealing somebody's ideas rather than collaborating or borrowing it. I don't know why that is, though. Well, collaboration has become a massive... I don't know if it's like recently become a thing or I've just become more exposed to it and more yeah. aware of it, but I've noticed that a big thing at the moment with at least the smaller kind of artists um, is collaboration. So like working with other people writing a track and I still don't understand how it works and I, I have friends who who do this they're like incredible musicians I should probably just sit them down and ask like so when you sit down and you're collaborating with somebody yeah. who decides like who are you writing it for like are you, do, you, do, you, do you exchange money or do you just say like this one's for you then we'll meet up again and I'll do one for you like I don't really know how it works but I like the idea that like you were saying it's a bit less vindictive and a bit more yeah. collaborative I find I can understand the the inability to collaborate in a way, mm. like not inability, but like not understanding how that would work. Because yeah. I I mean, I do most things solo, mm. purposefully. You know, I like people have said, "Oh, we should do something together," and I'll be like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> like it's nothing against you, but the way I work works better yeah. independently. And so the idea of just sitting down with someone. And going, yeah, well, you do this bit, and I do this bit. I'm like, that seems way restrictive. Yeah. And I'm going to feel weird if you do something which I'd want to change. Yeah. Because I won't want to change what you've done, but at the same time, it's not the way I do it. Yeah. So how how do you balance that? I guess, like, when you say about you prefer, like, working alone because of that. Yeah. What about if it was, like, cross-medium? So essentially, instead of it being... You, you like say like drawing bases like yeah. you draw this thing and then you draw that thing and he said like I'll draw this thing to go along with your documentary or like like it so yeah. there's a kind of a you basically you both just say you have your creative freedom doing your own thing but, but side by side yeah yeah that could work because that, that's a big thing that I've been trying to do recently yeah but it it's very it's difficult to kind of toe that line so like I have a friend who great illustrator yeah but because she does it essentially it's a profession so there's kind of a a balance there where I can't just be like hey do you want to work on a thing because then it's like but I'm using time that I would be using to like on this commission where I'm getting paid for it to then do something with you so it's I find that collaboration that's why I don't really understand how it works in a professional sense because in a in a semi-professional way yeah you already have a cent like a form of income you're not thinking about that you're just thinking yeah. i this want to do something fun. we could do this and... yeah but then like at the same time like i've had so like the idea of writing tracks i think mm. we went through this last time i was like i don't in many ways i don't understand how musicians put tracks together mm. or go out and go i'm gonna write a song so they sit down and write and they do it and it's like right <clears throat> so did you come up with the lyrics first did you come up with the beat first did you do the guitar? Have you had like a melody in your head? If you had all those, how did you randomly come up with lyrics which match that rhythm? <laughs> and I'm like, that makes no sense. And like, I've been in bands. Mm. And I just, I don't, like you can experience it, but at the same time, there's no way to go, this is how it's done. Because yeah. I'm like, like there was a thought the other day, I think I was watching um, like Metallica do some like session stuff. Mm. And I was just like, so who, who starts off here? Like, <laughs> Does Hetfield come in with some lyrics and go, I've written these lyrics, now we need to write music for them? Or does someone just start playing a beat mm. and and then the rest of everything comes in? I'm like, 
like as <laughs> as a band because like as some as somebody who's been yeah. in both like, as a band it's so different compared to yeah. solo like with a band like, I always find that yeah it works as a case of like somebody will just say I have this idea and it just kick starts things okay um, I mean there was I really enjoy what like band collaboration purely from a fake way of like you can really just throw ideas out and sometimes they'll just like you'll get everything exposed to a new way of thinking okay um, so like an example would be uh, we wrote a song ages ago and then we were stuck on the chorus we were like what, what are we going to like guitar wise what are we going to play for the chorus no mm-hmm. idea we had a basic idea of what we wanted to do so then we just sat in the same room just all kind of like doing our own thing we are just like okay oh, that kind of way and then around about the same time me and the other guitarist just looked up and we were like oh yeah I've got an idea and basically said it at the same time and then we were like he played his thing I played my thing and we were like oh okay and I can't remember who I think it was like the bassist was just like what happens if you play them together and we played them together and we were like whoa it works incredible this is great and like something like that I think working by yourself would probably never happen like I would have just come up with the chorus bit and I would have been like oh that's pretty that'll yeah, be yeah, that'll work. Yeah. Um, but I find in terms of like where you start yeah it, like when you're doing it by yourself it's so much more open yeah like I've been really I've been writing trying to write the second album and I'm part of the way there but then I just keep hitting walls of I don't want to say writer's block because it's not quite that it's just a lack of inspiration it's just a I kind of hit a point where I just I don't have any idea to kind of kick start things okay yeah yeah. Um, I guess there's this question like you did the first album mm. which you made up from lots of mini ideas yeah you'd had stacking so did you sit and go I'm gonna do a second album and then kind of stunted yourself by going I need to make something it was kind of like and, yeah and that's provided a blocker yeah it's like partly that and then also the the whole thing of I had some stuff written that I was like with the first album I was like doesn't work yeah. for that so I'm going to put that in a folder somewhere in a corner forget about it yeah. and like that's essentially how the album came to be the first album was just I had a load of songs and ideas yeah. and I just sat down one day at my computer and nobody thinks about this form of songwriting is having loads of ideas and actually having to just put down all your instruments sit with a computer look at those ideas and say right I like you I yeah. don't like you yeah. right I like you but you don't fit this so go there yeah. and I, I have so many folders and organizing organizing methods because without that I have no way of keeping track of what could kind of go together yeah I find when you make something when you're coming from like an original point mm. there's a lot of trimming you have to do mm. for every idea like I mean like even like right now I've, there's a few projects I'm working on where I've come up with like 20 different ways it could go and I'm sat there and going right well I need to trim this mm. but at the same time like there's like a little bit of bittersweetness where you're like oh if I trim this as soon as I trim this 19 of those ideas I'm not going to be able to work on for a while because they're going to do this one thing Yeah, it's like the book which I'm trying it's like I need to do that and then I start something else I'm like no stop starting that you need this bit physically needs to be done for that project to complete I'm like yeah, yeah. but I've got that yeah. <laughs> I think that's but I, th- I think you should never 
stunt yourself and like stop yeah. yourself from doing that because I think there's there is value in just in the moment being like, yeah, this is what I've come up with, putting it and then just being like, I'm going to stop Sliding there. Sliding it to the yeah. side. Yeah, you just put it to the side yeah. and then after you've finished your main current project, then you go and yeah. do something else. It's all about organization, I think, and. Like, <laughs> Because like I had the same, like the the single I released was literally a, a track that I wrote for my sister's wedding. So that was I had a date yep. that I had to do it for, and I did it. Yeah. And then I was because it was all fresh in my mind and all the emotions of the event and stuff. I just thought, right, even though this wasn't in my original plan of where I was going to do things and what I was going <clears> to <throat> release and stuff. Yeah. I thought I'm going to record this, going to release it. Yeah. Because it's just it's the right moment to do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's you have to just be flexible, but also really hard with yourself. Because like you were saying, like you were saying about you got the book, yeah. So you just need to like force yourself to do that and like right, I'm going to do this. Oh, but I also have this other idea. So write that. Yeah, yeah. You need like but, um, a second. But I'm back to this second book, so you can oh, like sketchbook. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's the way you can do it, like in tandem. In a way, like that's a, like that's a genuine like that's usually like when people are like the second film is crap. The second album's crap. Yeah, and I think that's because it, when we, like I was saying with like the whole originality of ideas and, and films and stuff, why major companies rely so heavily on the same product. Yeah, because if you take an original idea and it's successful, the pressure to outdo that original idea kills it. Yeah, every single time. hundred percent. It's like you know, it's, it's like write the book. Like I released the book. If someone came to me with like a publishing deal and was like, we want you to do another one, my brain would be like, suddenly don't have any ideas. Because <laughs> you've just gone, you need to do this now. This is like, this is a product. This mm. is a thing which we can do and we're, we're willing to spot. I'm like, yeah, but you could have done that with the first one. And then the ideas would have been flowing for the second one. Whereas right now it's just this standalone piece, yeah. which will come and go and do whatever. Yeah. And yeah. I, th- I think yeah that's why kill your own creativity just throw the ideas out there and just let it let it happen then, then yeah when, if somebody does something say you need to do another book it's like well I have all these ideas for the thing that yeah. I I have no idea where they're going so I can stop that there's a there's a, um, a trope of script writers mm. where you so if you write a script for a film mm. you should always have a second script in mind okay because if you are attempting to get your script seen and you're doing all the things which people do when they do that, which is like you send it to agents, you send it to producers, you go to pies and you network like crazy, yeah. is that if you have that idea and it gets picked up, people instantly ask you about what else can you do? Yeah. You know, well, what are your other ideas? So you have to have a secondary idea to catch them at that point because they're interested in you at that point. And if you don't have that secondary idea, you're not going to do it. Yeah. And your first film probably won't go anywhere. Yeah. Because people are like, oh, well, he's got one idea. People haven't invested in yeah. it because... They've got one one song and what's yeah. the point and everything else. Like, you release one track and so you've always got to have something else just just sitting. Yeah. Just sitting on the little shelf so you can go, and this is how we're going to do it. And I have this. Yeah. But it's not fleshed out, but it's not. Yeah. yeah. I got this idea. Needs Maybe needs a little bit of funding. And yeah. Can, can, can go forward. That's, that's why I see the value. And this is more... No, no, I was going to say it's more in music or at least I'm noticing more in music but yeah. I think it's also a thing in films you just don't see it quite as often maybe is the idea of just contrasts your previous work yeah so like I really that's why I really like <clears throat> John Mayer from a point of view of as an artist he creates 
such vastly different stuff from time to time. So like you'll have like acoustic the acoustic album, and then he'll then go and do like heavier things, or yeah, yeah he'll do uh, like a bit more of a bluesy kind of style album. And I think there's so much you can do with that. And like you were saying, nobody really can compare yeah the second one to the first one because it's so vastly different that really he they're a separate product. Change genre completely. Yeah. It stops critics. Kind of, yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's it's like, oh, you can compare it, but you're never really going to be able to compare it. Yeah. Because I made a rom-com after a horror. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like, genuinely, there's so much in that, and I think it'd be so interesting to see more more filmmakers, especially, yeah. um, do that kind of thing. Like, I think Tarantino, to an extent, kind of does that, because he's because he kind of limited himself by saying, we're going to do ten films, and then... <laughs> I'll probably stop at that point. So, he, because he limited himself from the get-go, yeah. that kind of says, well, th- this film can be this, this film can yeah. be this. And obviously, it all has the Tarantino flair to it, but yeah. there's still... Uh, I, I look at the trailer for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that he's got coming out, and I compare that to, say, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, and I look at them and I think, they look so tonally different in so many ways. I think Edgar Wright does that as well. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good definitely channel, yeah. like jumps up and goes, "I've done this, cool, I nailed it. Mm. Let's go do something completely different. Yeah, you know, let's let's it'll still be well produced, it'll still be well made. Like Scott Pilgrim, like oh. basically, like you watch that and then you watch Baby Driver. Like, yeah, these are two very vastly different films. Yeah. Clearly, someone who enjoys film, mm. but you can't, you just can't compare. Yeah, like they they have so much that is their own. Yeah, but then yeah, they just have that little bit that is. Still, you're still watching anything like, oh, that's Edgar Wright. Like, it's it's the small nuances that is what carries him him across, like the camera shots and yeah. like the zooms and stuff are but so Edgar Wright. Clearly, the second album, you need to make a metal album. Well, well I mean, not quite country western. But I, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of working on. So I'm really inspired by uh, Buckethead. Oh yeah, which yeah. I feel like saying that to. In a general context, to a lot of people, we just be like, "What?" Because like the first album was like basically it was all acoustic, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but then I just love Buckethead and his. I mean, as a creator, he's incredible. Yeah. Um, so the the second album is a bit more to that kind of way, and I yeah I have, I think I had like five different album start points yeah. so that I essentially like like I said about starting with the limitations is I've set myself a genre almost or an idea and I've said right that's that yeah. and that's that and I know that that's what I'm going to do so it definitely helps with the like I was saying about the organisation it means that I can write something and I can be as free as I want to be because I like so much variance of so much variance of the music that yeah. one day I'll sit down and I'll just because like you were saying about like, the starting starting point, I usually will just sit down and have my guitar at the side. I'll just pick it up and I'll just be like, mess around. And I'll be like, oh, I kind of like that. And I'll record it. Yeah. So I've got it for posterity. And by doing that, one day I could write something that's like super poppy sounding. And then the next day, yeah. write something that's very, like you're saying, almost like rock metal-y kind of style. Yeah. Because that's essentially where I've come from as well. That's where I started my music yeah. journey, if you want to call it that. It sounds real pretentious, <laughs> but... That's where I essentially I started everything was doing rock and metal. Yeah. So I still think you can kind of feel that a bit in what I do. Like in the first, in, in like the acoustic stuff, it's so 
uh, so big on like the dynamic side of things purely because I've come from this whole idea of yeah. big choruses and weird verses and that kind of thing and yeah. so, I think I think that's, that's it's a good way of working hmm. it's to never be afraid of just doing whatever you want to do yeah like but, you know, maybe I think for some people as well like for a lot of musicians it's probably a bit easier to do things when they actually know who they are and what they want to make yeah but because well essentially because I'm not professional and I don't I don't see it happening anytime soon I have the freedom to just not have to work out who I am or what I want I can just say right yeah. I like everything I'm just going to do everything and we'll yeah. see what happens try everything until something goes yeah, yeah. because eventually you will find something that like and there are points where I'll write something I think that is so so me yeah but it's rare that that happens because I have no idea what that is like the one thing I know and this isn't just from a writing perspective this is also a listening perspective I know I just really like big choruses right. like just real they can be really generic in terms of musicality yeah but just like powerful and they they're more like thick and fast paced maybe and I, it, I like that and I like dynamic kind of changes so that's why I really like post rock and stuff yeah. like that is because that's all about starting real quiet and then building a <laughs> you know people can say, like, I've heard people criticise post-rock before being like oh, it's so boring it's just yeah, so yeah. like just, just the same thing but just builds it up and I'm like that's great that's, that's all that's, I want that's, that's, the bit, that's the best bit of tracks yeah, it's the anticipation yeah. <laughs> it gets me every time so yeah I kind of I don't know I I think that in general creatively but even just in life people should just be open and accepting of just trying something new yeah <clears throat> because you might find that actually you even even if you never would have thought you would have loved it you yeah. might be really good at it I think that's a solid point to end on yeah, yeah that works out quite nicely well we'll have your video up in the next couple of weeks yeah so. we'll, at some point yeah, yeah we'll work that out so we'll, we'll push that and if not Hilderston is yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's alright Hilderston's the one yeah. Right. so cool thank cool. you for coming to anytime thank you for coming to your house it's my house yeah um, we'll call it there cool thank you thank you <laughs> Oh!